and welcome to Happy Porch Radio Season 6. In this season, Emily and I are exploring the circular economy across Africa. And to help set the scene, we are joined today by Chris White. Chris is a director and executive team member of the African Circular Economy Network, as well as chapter lead for South Africa. And the vision for the African Circular Economy Network is to build a restorative African economy that generates well-being prosperity inclusive of all its people through new forms of economic production and consumption which maintain and regenerate its environmental resources. And so I really enjoyed that conversation, Emily. I think it helped us kind of set the context a little bit and kind of start to explore some of the differences between what we talked about in season five and the circular economy across Africa. Yeah, I agree. It felt like the smallest of scratches on the surface of this huge topic that we're kind of embarking on. But it was a nice first step in kind of starting to paint that picture of of circular economy across Africa. My favorite thing I think that, that Chris focuses on is that question of the impact and the outcome being much more important than the process. And that really resonated with me as a great opportunity for innovation and new technologies, new ideas within this circular economy. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, we barely scratched the scratching of the surface, but it's really cool. And I think it sets us up for a really fascinating season. Coming at this compared to season five, where we were talking about some pretty high powered technology. One of the throwaway comments that Chris made that that really stuck with me towards the end is when he said, it's not about just, you know, selling European tech in Africa. It's about understanding the context and enabling and us understanding the genuine opportunities and challenges across the incredibly diverse and very large continent of Africa. And I think he gave us a little taster of that. And so without any further ado, let's meet Chris. Hi, my name is Chris White. I'm part of the executive team and co-founder of the African Circular Economy Network. And my focus is really looking at developing circular economy applications across Africa, uh, particularly looking at transitioning to a circular economy where waste is a resource. So looking forward to the chat. Awesome. Welcome to the show. Really excited about this. This is the first episode in a whole brand new season, which for us is going to be, I think, really fascinating. So the reason we invited you, Chris, along for this kickstart to the season is to kind of help us try and understand a little bit of context. As most of those listeners for previous seasons are in in North America and in Europe, I think it would help to kind of set the scene for this season. So let's start, (laughs) if that's okay. If you can just help us try and fit into, in terms of global circularity, where does the African continent fit into that? More about understanding what circularity is, and I'm hoping the listeners understand circularity, and maybe we can unpack that at a later stage. Mm. But circularity is the big buzzword at the moment. Whether you you come from my sort of roots and heritage, I've gone from sustainability to green economy to cradle to grave and cradle to cradle and restorative and regenerative. So this is another buzzword, and I'm (laughs) hoping it's going to stick for a while. But circularity is something that is being pushed quite strongly from a policy directive, particularly in the in the developed countries. In Africa, however, the circularity is more something that we've embraced for a lot longer and not so much in terms of need or desire, but rather a need because we don't have the resources of our more developed states. Mm. 
So things last a lot longer here. Things tend to circulate within our economy already. So, you know, if you're looking at secondhand clothes, uh, we get secondhand, thirdhand, and fourthhand. Shoes get fixed constantly. We don't just go to the shop and buy another one. Food does not get wasted as much as it does in Europe. Um, people are hungry. Mm-hmm. Computers here will have a lifespan of 15, 20 years. They just keep getting fixed and upgraded. And you know, people don't have the resources to buy a brand new computer. So they'll buy a refurbished computer. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to find that things stay in circularity in Africa. And it goes right across the spectrum. If you look at transport, not everybody can afford a car. So we have mass transport systems, perhaps not as advanced as they are in Europe. But uh, we work with uh, our own sort of taxi brigade. There's a lot of share riding that happens. People can't buy big tools. So, you know, we share tractors. And so there's a, a different mindset in terms of circular economy in Africa. So we're, I think, pretty much predisposed as leaders in circular economy, from my perspective. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you talked about it very much. That's about need, like you say, and there's there's a real benefit to, particularly in those circumstances, to thinking about, okay, well, let's keep things going for longer. Let's reuse them. I'm interested, before we come back to maybe talking about the role of ASIN and some maybe some more specifics on that, I'm interested in your thoughts about does that, how does that need how does the circular economy affect that need going forward? Is it a case of this is something that will just continue to kind of be sort of native to living on the African continent? Or is there ways that circular economy can kind of feed back and change some of that? Absolutely. I think circular economy is the future, not just for Africa, but for the world. So the opportunity, I believe, in terms of circular economy uh, provides massive scope in terms of development for the African economy. We've seen the fragility of global supply chains, whether you look at COVID or whether you look at just the simple fact you get a ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. That has massive knock-on effects to global supply chains. And Africa has really been a resource-based exporter for, for far too long with not enough beneficiation and value add locally. And we want to see that change. So circularity in terms of what we're learning with what's happening in the States and Europe and, and elsewhere is that there are lessons that we can take at a much larger scale. So whilst Africa has been following a sort of a circular path, the opportunity really is to engage this in a much deeper manner, is to understand the opportunities in circularity across multiple sectors. And we tend to find that circular economy is still largely, a lot of people think it's just another buzzword for for recycling. But we try and look at it from the perspective of understanding the impacts and the outcomes as opposed to the actual sort of academic outcome of what circular economy is. So when you look at where we can benefit, it's not just in our basic resources. It's also understanding opportunities in energy, infrastructure, health, education, nutrition, manufacturing, tourism. So there are so many different ways that we can embrace circularity in in a much bigger way and look at engaging the good examples that have come out of Africa and scale those to develop a more regenerative and restorative and sustainable approach for the African continent moving forward. So there's lessons to be learned. And I think that the opportunity in terms of driving long-term sustainable economic development using the principles of circularity holds huge promise for the continent of Africa. Thank you, Chris. I'm really interested in this idea that there are already circular practices kind of naturally 
you know, built into the economy in many parts of Africa out of necessity. And there's kind of that process of you're saying of, of, of like joining the dots between the things that are already happening and the potential for more to happen in terms of circularity. Do you have an example maybe of like a project or a case study where you've seen that sort of thing develop in that way? I think there's a lot of case studies. You know, through the work that we've been doing in terms of circular economy in Africa, we've identified a number of these. And often it's a case of looking at the available resources and using those in a manner where we have a market gap or a market need. So infrastructure is a brilliant example. Not many African countries have the sort of industrial capacity of the likes of South Africa. So when you're looking at things like housing and construction, remember, we still have tens of millions of people living in earthen structures in Africa, but everybody aspires to having a brick house. And yet circularity allows us the opportunity to look at available materials. One of those through one of the projects we've won multiple global awards for is the use of compressed earth block technology uh, using either handheld or uh, diesel-driven systems to use available clay-based soils to produce very low-carbon building systems that are stronger, cheaper, and better than concrete and clay with a fraction of the carbon footprint. That is an opportunity that has massive scope in terms of African development where we have tens of millions in terms of backlog from a housing perspective so what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid going down the Eurocentric model of we want a concrete house or we want a clay brick house. Because often in terms of African conditions, the, the issue is that they're often not suitable for our local climatic conditions. We have extremes of heat and cold in Africa. And often the thermal properties of your building and structure are way more important than the look and feel of that. So if you've got something like a compressed earth block home that has 10 times the thermal efficiency of hollow concrete blocks, it means that you spend less resources and time in terms of heating and cooling that house over the life of that house. So we've got to look at it with regards to understanding that the house might not be the only cost, but then one's got to upkeep the house, maintain the house, heat the house, cool the house. So those are some sort of applications, but also we look at concrete forms or concrete molded applications. So bricks, blocks, paving stones, curbstones, those can be manufactured from a blend of grit, sand, crushed glass. And instead of using concrete or cement, one can use plastic as a binder and one can produce alternative infrastructure components. And there's a number of opportunities around that. Island states are a perfect example. They keep saying, well, what do we do with all this plastic? It keeps washing up on our beaches. Well, it's quite simple. You've got a lot of tourists there who, who do nothing but drink and stand, sit on the beach. So crush up the glass, use that as an aggregate, mix it with the plastic and produce coastal erosion protection systems like retaining blocks. Use what's available. So never look at the problem, look at the opportunity. Great examples. Thank you. And you said that at the end, you know, these potential issues of we have this waste, what do we do with it? It's actually quite simple. So in that kind of beautiful simplicity of some of these circular practices where do the issues lie like how come everyone isn't just crushing up plastic and using that waste 
there's a huge dynamic in terms of that. I think we need to understand that, that as African as we are, that there's a desire for a Eurocentric focus. And, and we see that in our own supply chains. We see that in our own desires for consumable goods, for foreign tasty foods that we're not used to. And, and uh, you know, we've got to look at understanding that we've had 150 years of colonial development and we have systems and structures, for example, the cement industry is well entrenched within Africa because the infrastructure requirements for Africa over the next few decades are, are absolutely enormous. So we've been sensitized to clay bricks, to concrete, to cement. And yet, when you look at the development across Africa in terms of standards and regulations, um, we have standards, for example, for concrete blocks and clay bricks. We don't have standards for compressed earth blocks. So from a compliance and certification perspective, we now hamstrung ourselves because we've created a system where we are promoting unsustainable practices. And you've, had, you've got companies that have had years to entrench their position in the market with the fact that clay brick is better or concrete is better. Even in terms of standards from engineering perspective, we find it very difficult still at the moment when we try to bring an alternative uh, building material into uh, infrastructure developments when the architects and the developers don't understand the alternatives, they don't understand the benefits. So there's a lot of education that needs to come forth in terms of getting people to understand that these things work. So. I'll bring you back to the example of the what we call the ocean paver, which is the system of developing the crushed glass and plastic. And we have a, a testing system in terms of strength, which basically uses a compression mold to look at the compression strength of a concrete product. Uh, so our standards are based around a concrete standard. So when we took our paving stone into a conventional Bureau of Standards approach to looking at testing the compression. What normally happens is you put this piece of concrete under two presses and they push it at a high pressure until it shatters and ruptures. And when it shatters and ruptures, somebody comes through the dustpan and brush and they sweep up all of the remains and they say, right, it broke at that particular pressure. Ours didn't break, so it failed the test. I mean, to me, it's rank stupidity because to me, it, it's stronger. But because it didn't break, it failed the test because the, the test standard is around when does it break? Uh, it doesn't break. Uh, it fails the test. So it's those sort of strange nuances which are ludicrous. But it's also getting people to understand that there's a lot of misinformation as well. Yeah, that people will say, well, it's going to create microplastics. Well, no, it's not. You know, what you're doing is you are locking up these resources into something that is going to last for a long time. It's not going to create microplastics. It's not going to leach into the environment. It's not going to break. So it's getting people's mindsets changed to new opportunities, new materials, new standards, and get them to embrace those differences as opposed to trying to find reasons to challenge it. So certification, compliance, legislation, material specification, procurement, these are all issues that we've you know, taken on from a Eurocentric perspective to drive our systems development, and they, they don't work. Mm. They are obstructive to innovation and change. That example you gave, and you used the word ludicrous, so I think that sums it up nicely. But what's interesting there is that's, a, and I think, a nice segue to the role of the African Circular Economy Network, ACE, in 
you touched on so many different things there, but particularly in education. So maybe you can just sort of talk a little bit about how ACE and how that as a network, how you're trying to sort of tackle some of those problems. Sure. So uh, we recognized a, a long time ago that there was a gap in the market. And I think everyone saw that circular economy was coming through the ranks, this new buzzword. And it was started by a number of key individuals who met up in Cape Town. And the founding member, Peter Desmond, he was down there doing some master's work, I think it was, and met up with a number of my circular economy-minded colleagues down in Cape Town. And they said, this is nuts. You know, we're, there's a lot of good people out there. We need to get together and start working together. So they started off this network. And that very quickly transformed into a non-profit organization. And the non-profit organization started developing that network, joining and connecting people and creating those networks and sharing information and getting people to understand more about what circular economy was. And as that's grown, you know, the network itself has had to evolve. So it's now evolved into a non-profit corporation because now it needs the right governance structures and systems in place in terms of being able to handle and manage projects with, uh, with big corporate clients and with governments. And that in itself has evolved recently. So we've just launched the ASIN Foundation, which is now how do we take a volunteer-based network and give it the legs it needs to implement systems and projects and find a way of being able to finance that. So it, it's evolving very quickly. And again, it's evolving from what we perceive as a need as opposed to a desire. So there is a massive need to develop circular economy in Africa. So the network currently has over 100 chapter members in 31 African countries. And effectively, what that means is when people are talking about circular economy in Africa, the African Circular Economy Network is kind of the go-to organization because we have those networks and we've been championing it for a lot longer than others. So we need to evolve that to be able to provide a greater um, benefit to members, to be able to grow the network you know, with any voluntary type network. As soon as the membership starts increasing, now you've got a get a website together and you need offices and you need to answer people's phone calls and uh, emails. And so the resources duplicate and multiply. So you need resources to handle that. So we're seeing that natural progression and growth in terms of the network. And again, it's still from a focused perspective, very much a partnership-based philosophy. We realize that we cannot be the center of the universe. We cannot manage everything. So partnerships are important, and ASIN has created a number of valuable partnerships, not only nationally, but globally. So nationally, we're working with the likes of the Plastics Pact, and we're working with the with Green Cape, World Wildlife Fund. But internationally, we're creating linkages with the likes of the World Economy Forum, the World Resources Forum, the World Circle Economy Forum, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, ICLE. So there are a number of different uh, groupings that are coming together, and we're seeing that there is strength in numbers. And ASIN provides that key input in terms of the African development and the African message. So we're growing that in terms of chapters. Each chapter is a country. Each chapter has a chapter lead. Um, it has country representatives. It has country members. People can join purely as a friend of ASIN. So there are different membership opportunities, but it really is just to try and bring together people with a, a similar interest and we can share that information and grow the love, basically. Hmm. The love for circular economy. As I learn more about this network and, and hear you speak about the kind of connections that you're building, I'm interested to know in kind of your eyes that balance between those local chapters and the kind of local 
integration of circular economy across the African continent versus that idea of the African message that you mentioned. Obviously, you know, you've got 31 different African countries involved in this network, so there's going to be a huge diversity within that. Yeah, so I suppose that balance between the kind of diversity of that and also the unity of it. Well, we, we see similarities across Africa, but what you can remember is Africa is a pretty big place. Very few people realize, you know, I mean, people mostly look at a Mercator map and they think that Greenland is the size of Africa. The reality is, is that you can fit the whole of the United States, the whole of India and the whole of China, plus a few other countries just to fill in the gaps. So we've got a massive land area. And with that also comes huge differences in terms of resource availability. So each country is different in terms of the resources available, in terms of the characterization of the cultures, the focuses of each country. So there's a lot of differences as well. We have a lot of Francophone countries and Portuguese side, and we've got German influence, and, and there's a big change in culture. We're, there's a huge tribal influence right across Africa. So things are different in every country. And I think we need to understand that each of those chapters need to understand and grasp their own requirements in terms of circular economy development. So some of the work we did recently through an Africa-EU collaboration was we looked at eight African countries uh, specifically in detail, looking at circular economy, and then also put together a continental report on Africa based on that and sort of extrapolated understandings of circular economy. And the focus areas are different. So one country might be more focused on agriculture and tourism or forestry, Another might be more on mining and energy. So each of those are going to be different. So the chapters need to have their own focus areas. And we see that with some of the work we've done with Nigeria at the moment. The big focus at the moment is plastics because that's what's visible. They're saying we have a problem with plastics. We understand that. We appreciate that. And that is the low-hanging fruit in terms of uh, developing and tackling systems around plastic waste. How do we connect the collectors with the processes, with the markets? How do we understand policy and directives? But at the same time, we need to look at it to understand the impact of plastics in terms of health, in terms of water, in terms of education. There's all sorts of different applications where one can look at that cross-sectoral approach, but we need to not lose sight of the circular application, which is... How do we then look at the tourism sector? How do we then look at the, at the energy sector? So we've got to broaden the horizons, but at the same time, focus on the real problems at hand because that's what people see and, and those are the priorities. So we're focusing on certain things and each country is different. Africa, it doesn't matter where you go, I think plastic waste is a huge issue. But then let's try and also remember that when you look at things like water quality, plastic is the visible component. We have big issues with regards to agricultural pollution in water, the fecal contamination in water, oil pollution in water. And those are the real problem charts. So we've got to look at circularity in terms of understanding all of those different elements uh, and bring them together. But at the same time, still be sympathetic to the direct and immediate needs of the people and the citizens in each country as well. That makes me think of something you said at the start as well, that it's more circularity more than recycling, which is often one of the assumptions for people coming to a conversation about the circular economy or about, as you say, those general buzzwords. They start with, oh, it's recycling. And that also makes me think like, you know, that is, as you say, that's the, the sort of 
entry uh, gateway drug or whatever, the, the entry point, the visible issue of like plastic waste everywhere, let's recycle, let's do something with it. How are you trying to think about that as you're saying you're sort of at the same time we need to tackle these things but also we need to try and have this broader conversation is there how challenging is that it's not really challenging i think once people start to understand the multi-sectoral approach using circular economy principles it starts to bring together those different ideas so take a prime example energy is a huge issue in africa we have 650 700 million people in africa who don't have access to electricity and yet, everyone's pushing this fact that we need to achieve our sustainable development goals. We've got the 17 uh, United Nations to Sustainable Development Goals. And the simple fact is more than half of those are not achievable without energy. So when you look at things like food waste, it's not the fact that they're wasting the food. It's the fact they don't have electricity to look at agri-processing to add value to that product that it now becomes a higher value. We don't have access to cold chain. Transportation is problematic because the infrastructure is not there. Mm -hmm. We can't get product to market. So it's understanding the complexity of all those different components, but then also looking at the opportunities. And there are some great examples out there. The most exciting to me really is things like agri-protein, yeah. where we're now looking at, at food waste issues and using the African soldier fly to produce lava that they devour the food waste and the food waste then turns into protein and the protein then becomes an animal feed. And then there's knock-on effects of that. So when you start to unpack it from a life cycle perspective and you see that, you know, we're feeding our chickens fish meal at the moment. So yeah, sometimes your chicken you buy from the, the grocer tastes like fish. The chicken's not designed to eat fish. Uh, chicken's designed to eat animal protein. It's a bird. That's how it evolved. So what you start to see is that when they change the feed from these processed feeds that we look at from the supply chain perspective that we have now, which is broken, an animal protein like agri-protein changes the dynamic completely because it changes the growth of the animal. It changes the texture of the meat. It also reduces animal mortalities. It reduces the requirement and the need for antibiotics and for other factors which we don't want in our food. If an animal is eating what it's designed to eat, it has a natural protection system. So you're starting to see knock-on effects that are incredible. And you can take that same example, whether you're looking at infrastructure or health or education or water availability, water security, and unpack each one of those from a life cycle analysis perspective to show that the circular economy principles will allow us to create something that's more than just waste. As I said, I, I ran a, a nonprofit organization for 12 years and they kept calling me the recycling guy. And I used to get really annoyed because it's about the impact and the outcome. It's not about the recycling. People have got this very, very naive view of recycling. And, and I often do presentations where I show the picture of the, the two-liter plastic milk bottle, you know, which kids take and they cut it in a certain way that it looks like it's got floppy ears and a trunk. And so it looks like an elephant. So I say, well, you know, is, is recycling irrelevant? And it is, you know, because we have this mental perception of what recycling is. And also, even at government level and corporate level, they think, Recycling is about taking a plastic bottle and that goes into a system and it becomes a pellet and that becomes another plastic bottle. It's way more advanced than that. So when you start looking at the full value chain in terms of understanding waste, then we need to look at issues like energy. Energy is a massive opportunity. We have 650 million people without electricity, but we're drowning in plastic waste. And plastic waste has about 30% more energy incorporated into it than coal. So we've got countries and island states like Mauritius who are importing coal and then 
trying to get rid of the plastic waste. It's like, guys, you, you're missing a point here. So how do we take advantage of those opportunities? And also understand that it's not always a complete circular approach. So I'm not an academic. I'm a project-based guy. Um, I believe in realistic solutions for realistic applications. And your academics will say, but it's not circular economy. I'm going, no, but it's a good step in the right direction. So it's solving a problem. And you know, by providing energy and providing clean water, these are outcomes of circular economy practices that have high impact. So it's changing the narrative. We've got to change people's mindsets in terms of Stop thinking about recycling. Recycling doesn't work. It's been shown globally. It doesn't work. It's not economically viable. It's not sustainable. But that's because people are thinking about it with that old mindset. So we need to change that narrative. and We need to start looking at waste as a resource in terms of unlocking the many different components of the circular economy. Hmm. Yeah. As we're sort of beginning to, unfortunately, head towards the end of this conversation, we've touched on so many things and it's such a big topic. But I wanted to ask you a question in terms of this season of Happy Forge Radio. So our intention is to try and get a little taster and explore some examples of the circular economy across Africa. And if you were to help the listener to understand with that lens, looking from the outside in mostly, what are the strongest areas, what are the differences and the things that, for example, from a European perspective, where we can say, like, we want to understand genuinely this context and understand without any, <laughs> I'm hesitating because I'm trying not to put any subtext on my, on my question, but understanding without any assumptions or any intentions to feel from a developed country any superiority, for example. Well, I think we could understand there's a lot of constraints in terms of what's happening in Europe at the moment. There's the new Green Deal. There are a lot of new directives that are being put into place that limit the ability of, of European organizations to emit carbon, to use too much energy. And the simple reality is that from, from a global supply chain perspective, it no longer makes sense anymore to transport iron ore from the middle of Africa thousands of miles across the sea in a big stinky oil ship all the way to Europe to then smelt it at massive temperatures and release CO2 emissions to produce a dirty high energy product. So the mindset is changing and it's about time. So we need to look at the opportunity in terms of creating the beneficiation in the areas where the resources are. Let's not start moving raw commodities around. Let's look at beneficiation. But again, I think in terms of your process going forward, we need to understand the opportunity in terms of unpacking this circular economy phenomenon to your listeners. And I would do that by looking at it from a sector perspective. So each sector is different. People really battle to look at this overall, what is the circular economy? And, and, and people have a very limited view. So it's another buzzword for recycling. But how do we unpack something like the housing sector? So let's not look at it from the impact. Let's rather look at it from the output and the opportunity. So the problem in Africa, for example, is housing. We have the solutions to that. We have alternative systems. We have low-carbon zero cement alternative technologies using waste products from fly ash and, and mine slag. We have high thermally efficient available subsoils using clay soils that can replace conventional building materials. We need to look at the opportunities uh, right throughout that sector. So the housing is the issue that causes economic instability. How do you change that by looking at cheaper options using local materials that empower the locals to be able to use local materials? You know, the food issues, how do we look at unpacking that with getting the knowledge and understanding of the case studies that we have in Africa, where we can say, let's look at things like the compost kitchen, which 
there's a great little initiative in South Africa to assist people to create compost. How do we look at unpacking these small systems that we have shown and proven in Africa and get them to scale, get these things right across Africa? But each of the different elements in the sectors, I think if your listeners can start to understand the sector approach towards circular economy, it then starts to bring back what they need to understand about the whole approach in terms of the circular principles. But also understanding it does not provide a threat to Europe. I believe it provides a massive opportunity to Europe in terms of creating sustainable economies within Africa through their assistance and not necessarily by trying to sell European technology. Let's look at being realistic. It's about trying to help Africa help itself. So we have the ability, we have the opportunity. We need the partnerships and the ability to grow with that. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. That was, as I said, that's a scratching of the surface and hopefully setting a little bit of the context for the rest of the season. Really appreciate that. Just finally, for anybody listening who wants to find out more about the work the African Circular Economy Network are doing, where should they go? They can go online. They could please just go out and have a look at www.acen.africa. That's uh, ASIN.Africa, and there's a whole bunch of information on there, and you can get in touch with us through there, and that'll give you a bit more information as to some of the stuff that we're up to. Wonderful. Thank you. And as always, we put the links and the show notes and the transcription of this episode on happyporchradio.com. Thank you so much, Chris. Marvelous. Thank you so much, guys. Nice to chat. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Happy Porch Radio. Hope you enjoyed it. You can hear more of our episodes at happyporchradio.com. You can also get in touch with us there. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any ideas or if you want to talk to us about something. We'd also love it if you can share these podcasts, review, rate, tell your pals, tell your neighbors, tell everyone. Tell your dog. Tell your dog. (laughs) Listen along with the whole family. And my name's Barry and I founded HappyPorch.com and Happy Porch fund and support the podcast. At Happy Porch, we do technology and software development for purpose-led businesses. And we are particularly excited about the role of digital as an enabler for the circular economy. So if you're working on solutions to the big problems we face today, problems like climate change and biodiversity loss and global inequality, then let's connect. Visit HappyPorch.com and get in touch. And my name's Emily and I am a coach facilitator and a podcaster. My projects focus on personal development, innovation for a better world and connecting with nature. My latest podcasting adventure alongside Happy Porch Radio is exploring the world of carbon removal. Find out more about this and everything that I do at emilyswaddle.com or you can get in touch with me at hello at emilyswaddle.com.